We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time 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 for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined virtually this evening by Nicholas Smith of the UK's Telegraph. Good evening. And Sean Sue. Hi, nice to be back. And jumping straight in where the week began, that being President Tsai Ing-wen thanking the United States for donating two and a half million doses of the Moderna coronavirus vaccine to Taiwan. The two and a half million doses included 750,000 doses pledged by the US on June the 6th and an additional 1.75 million doses announced over the past weekend. The shipment arrived in Taiwan on Sunday evening on a China Airlines cargo plane from Memphis International Airport in the US state of Tennessee. writing on our Facebook page, Tsai said that the additional doses were the result of hard work of many people in both the US and Taiwan. And she expressed her thanks to the Biden administration for its strong support for the Taiwanese people. However, KMT chairman Johnny Jung also stated that the US's donation of vaccine is proof of the friendship between Taiwan and America. And he also thanked the Biden administration for its help. But he went on to say that the aid being offered to Taiwan by Japan and the US makes the central government's lack of preparation and obtaining vaccines more regrettable. On Tuesday, Jung took the comment further by telling reporters that the US and Japan's donations of vaccines were not due to the efforts of the Thai administration. And according to the KMT chairman, friendly nations saw the breach in Taiwan's coronavirus situation and sent the vaccines quickly. And that was because the Thai administration's policy made mistakes. And Jung went on to say that the Thai administration should not consider the donation its political achievement and cease using the donations for propaganda, both here in Taiwan and overseas. The KMT's Lord Zhejiang also waded in on the issue, describing the government as a vaccine beggar for receiving a donation of vaccines from the United States. While a doctored image of Health Minister Chen Shijong depicted as a vaccine beggar holding a sign that ridicules the government's response to the pandemic also went viral. Needless to say, the DPP shot back, saying the KMT has persistently slammed the government attempts to obtain vaccines from other countries such as the US while at the same time touting the Chinese vaccine with the DPP caucus whip Liu Shifeng saying the KMT should now come out and say whether it's pushing for the government to purchase Chinese vaccines thus endorsing Beijing's one China principle the KMT though is denying seeking to push the government to purchase the Chinese vaccine so Sean two and a half million doses of vaccines from the US and allegations that the government is begging I think we need to. I think we need to look at the macro view of this entire thing. The reality is, even with the number of infections in Taiwan starting off about 500 and now leveling around 100 or so, Taiwan is doing better than the vast majority of nations out there. Um, the macro view is that Taiwan is getting vaccines and a lot of support in a global vaccine shortage, you know, faster than many other nations out there. Uh, I think, you know, the KMT is sort of pretending as if like, you know, vaccines are plentiful. Now, I understand that as an opposition party, they need to find a way in. Um, but you know, they, for the past couple of uh, since the outbreak, actually even before the outbreak, the KMT has been absolutely nasty. Uh, let's not forget a couple uh, about a month or so ago, uh, the KMT even had two members that mentioned uh, about 
murdering uh, the health information minister just two weeks ago. They made a very nasty tweet with their official Twitter account, uh, blasting uh, uh, a user thanking you know U.S. Uh, uh, donations and Japanese donations of vaccines. So this is sort of like an ongoing thing. Um, they need to downplay uh, the fact that Taiwan is getting support uh, way faster than nations that frankly need it more than Taiwan. Now, any deaths are regrettable. But, you know, they, the KMT needs to make that, that sort of inroad. Uh, and according to popu, uh, popular, uh, popular polls, uh, they haven't actually been making great inroads, actually. Their popularity, popularity has declined. So I see this personally as a KMT that really wants to, uh, um, you know, try to get itself uh, to try to find a way in. Now, unfortunately, another thing is I think vaccine calling uh, our neighbor, calling us a vaccine be uh, beggar or and uh, uh, sort of attacking our our global allies for, you know, stemic such stepping up and prioritizing Taiwan is, I think, not a very good long-term move. Uh, the reason is because uh, long-term, it will sour relations between the KMT and other, uh, other, you know, other groups, organizations, other nations. So if the KMT ever comes back into power again, uh, they may have to answer the long memory of diplomacy. Looking at the bigger picture, um, first of all, this announcement on Saturday night, especially, you know, when all the, the the pubs and restaurants are closed and everyone's a bit gloomy. It, first of all, it was a, a huge morale boost and, you know, social media immediately lit up with gratitude and, and people were just genuinely overjoyed, I think, at this sudden, um, uh, this sudden announcement of, of uh, much-needed vaccines. But in the bigger picture, it's, it's just a very strong, another strong political sig signal from the US that it has Taiwan's back. And I think um, that's just part, part of a pattern since um, the start of the Biden administration, um, that they do want to signal to China that, that they will support Taiwan um, in a number of ways. And, and in this particular way, it's through vaccines. And I, I did um, notice that when the US made um, the announcement that they did specifically refer to Taiwan's unique um, situation, unique difficulties in getting vaccines and, and said that it faced unfair challenges um, and, you know, called China out on politically motivated attempts to block purchases of, of uh, vaccines, of the BioNTech vaccine, saying that this was reprehensible. So that, that's the bigger picture, really, of, of um, this vaccine donation. Um, and also, I, I think, you know, there, there is an acknowledgement um, in the US and, and also Japan that Taiwan is, is also crucial to the semiconductor supply chain um, and that there are, you know, growing concerns that if um, thankfully Taiwan's outbreak is, is coming under control just now, but if, if it was to, to uh, reignite and really um, hit factories, that that's going to be a major global problem. Um, so we have to kind of keep the, the bigger um, picture on this as well, rather than just get caught up in um, kind of local petty politics and kind of cheap jibes by, by the KMT about, you know, using words like vaccine beggars. That, that just doesn't help anyone. I mean, what do, they, what do they want? Do they want Taiwan to get vaccines or do they want to just take pot shots at the government? And Sean, do there be concern in Washington if Taiwan suddenly turned around and bought vaccines from China? 
I think there would be concerns about that. Primarily, it would be BioNTech uh, if that was suddenly uh, available. But I don't think it would be – first of all, I don't think that would be very possible, especially under uh, the fact that we are getting uh, local vaccines likely approved sometime next month. So I, I do feel that the chances of this happening is quite remote. But if it was a theoretical, yes, of course, I absolutely think the United States would be alarmed. It wouldn't just be the United States. The same thing with Japan as well. Uh, just as Nicola said, uh, Japan has also stated that Taiwan was of grave importance. Other nations have sort of woken up like South Korea as well, uh, putting immense amounts of uh, uh, money, as did the United States, into semiconductor investments because of the fact that uh, companies like TSMC makes the vast majority of high-tech chips in the world. Uh, you know, TSMC, the United States, semicond uh, the Taiwan semiconductor industry makes about 65% uh, or so of the world's semiconductors. But when it comes to high-tech semiconductors, something about 90%. So, yeah, I, I do think there is that concern, absolutely. And moving on, the health minister Chen Shih-jong on Wednesday surprised absolutely no one once again when he announced the extension of the nationwide level three coronavirus alert until July the 12th. According to Chen, the extension was in response to the continued risk posed by domestic transmissions of the disease. And it means that schools will now remain closed until the current semester ends in early July. People will still be required to wear face masks at all times when they leave their homes and a ban will be retained on indoor gatherings of more than four people and outdoor gatherings of more than nine people. The Level 3 alert was implemented nationwide on May the 19th and initially scheduled to end on May the 28th, but has now been subsequently extended several times. Now, the extension of the alert comes despite a significant drop in the number of new domestic coronavirus cases reported in recent weeks. And after averaging over 400 daily infections from mid-May through early June, daily case numbers dropped into the 200s from June the 7th through the 12th and then into the 100s at the beginning of of this week. Now they went back into the hundreds on Thursday and well, basically later this week, but there's there's still people saying well, it's okay. But the government is expressing caution about lifting the restrictions, given that only about seven percent of the population has received at least one dose of the vaccine. Now, the Central Epidemic Command Centre this week said it's aiming for a 15 percent coronavirus vaccination coverage by the end of August, and figures show that some 1.62 million people have so far received at least one dose of the two-dose course. Taiwan has taken delivery, of course, of 1.96 million. AstraZeneca doses and 2.89 million doses from the Moderna coronavirus vaccine. Now, the Epidemic Command Center says the aim is to use up the remaining 3.2 million doses by the end of August to ensure that at least 15% of the total population has at least one shot. Experts, though, are continuing to say they believe at least 30 to 40% of the population should receive one dose before the government even considers lifting the current coronavirus restrictions. So, Nicola, if that's the case, we could be in for a long, long Level three lockdown, semi-lockdown. Yeah, well, we could be, absolutely. Um, that's the CECC's call. But, um, you know, I, I think we just have to be realistic that um, it's we're not in zero COVID territory like we were last year. And expectations, public expectations were set very high last year. And I think that's why there has um, been some more disquiet um, over the, the past few weeks. Um, this is a, a, this is still an unprecedented situation for Taiwan. But the, the situation has also changed because of the variants. And, and so that really has to be taken into account 
um, the border isn't completely sealed. Um, we still have people coming in. Um, we still have planes coming and going. And so I, I can understand the caution um, from the government because these variants are so much more transmissible. And the, the last thing that Taiwan wants is for the Delta variant to get in, which could be up to 60% more transmissible. And, and that could be disastrous in, in a population that's only um, 7% vaccinated. So I, I think people need to maybe temper their their expectations a bit more and realise that last year we really had it good. We had very few um, restrictions on our lives and that maybe we just need to be a bit more patient um, until more vaccines come in and until the situation is just a little bit more under control. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, in context, absolutely, you know, uh, expecting us to go back to zero is going to be very difficult. And indeed, uh, the Delta variants and future variants and they inevitably will be, uh, could be more and more deadlier. However, um, on the bright side, uh, as stated before, we are getting more vaccines. We're getting local vaccines. So even until that happens, we might still have pockets or areas that have higher uh, levels because we have had such high standards. Uh, if you go to any list and you look at the countries, um, you know, that are and their outbreak numbers, the vast majority of nations out there are doing far worse than Taiwan, even if population ratios were put into account. So uh, indeed, being cautious is better for the long term. Uh, there have been a lot of population, people have even been calling for online, asking for, you know, level four lockdowns, thinking that, hey, if we just uh, lock down for a long time, maybe for two or three more weeks, uh, uh, on a, then maybe this can be over. But it's not so simple. The reason is because there will always be certain people that violate the rules, as we've seen the last, uh, in this outbreak, uh, people who, despite the outbreak, uh, continue to be super spreaders themselves or continue to violate despite the increased and heavy fines. So yes, I do foresee that we will be having a sort of level three or at the minimum level two all the way until perhaps more and more of the population is vaccinated until we achieve uh, quote unquote herd immunity or over 60% of the population immunized. And even then we still have to worry about the, the uh Variants. On the bright side, this does mean that Taiwan has shown that it can uh, mobilize really quick. Uh, schools have transformed really fast into uh, uh, remote teaching, online teaching, things like that. So I've actually been very impressed, even though initially people expected Taiwan to uh, turn on a dime. But I've seen a lot more work from home. I've seen a lot of schools switch uh, to Internet teaching without too much of a hitch, less than a month's time. So, uh, so far, I think we can make it we can get those numbers down and of course nicola there was calls from businesses especially in the south for them to go back to a level two but I, that was obviously very very wishful thinking yeah i mean it's understandable and and um you know not everyone has the the luxury of being able to work from home and and you know this is very tough on the services industry um, and so I, I think the government is trying to seek that balance. I mean, there, there was some talk of a, a level 2.5, um, you know, not going straight back down to, to level two, but kind of finding some kind of hybrid measures, although those haven't really been fully explained. Um, 
and you can understand people's anxiety to to get back to normal but if you if you open up too soon then we've we've all seen what what's happened in countries that open up too soon and then immediately the vi- the virus just gets into some pocket and and then you're looking at hospitals being overwhelmed and i, I think really um people just need to step back a little bit and and consider that the vaccines are on the way um, Taiwan has ordered 20 million from abroad. Also, it has its own vaccine production. Um, and it, it's not that they're not coming. It's just that the pipeline is blocked just now. And that, that's understandable. I mean, this this is such a massive logistical feat for the entire world. Um, I, I mean, you know, flu vaccines, um, there's only 1.5 billion doses made per year. And, and you look at the, the, how many um, COVID vaccines um, the world needs. And it's just not realistic to expect everything to be um, completely normal uh, within a few months. Um, and so certainly, I, I you know, I'm, I'm hope and I'm sure the government is looking at ways to support businesses that have been hit hard um, and just, you know, keep trying to get vaccines um, in any way possible. Um, and, and we see that already happening with, you know, TSMC, um, and Honhai's charitable foundation are also, you know, looking at trying to get uh, vaccines, and that that would also help enormously. But th- this is really the the only way out. And and again, you know, I I think people need to be a little bit more patient. Um, if you start to open up the south of Taiwan, then you're just going to have a migration from the north because you know people will be fed up of restrictions in the north. So I I, I don't think that's a realistic um, strategy. So, of course, Sean, many of the calls for the going back to the level two were coming from places like Kending that have a heavy reliance on tourism, obviously. Oh, yeah, indeed. Um, so actually what Nicola pointed out was very good. Uh, indeed, that if we do have pockets of certain areas, like, for instance, cities and what have you, then there will be additional problems. Uh, I was thinking of sort of like a relaxation of restrictions regarding perhaps policies regarding uh, industry or specific industry. Uh, TSMC usually gets those sort of exemptions. But if Kenting does have those, uh, does have a lifting of, uh, uh, then yes, a lot of people will migrate over. A lot of people would prefer to do that. Now, keep in mind, um, Taiwan having about 120 infections a day, many other countries just having so little in numbers have opened up. Look at South Korea, which gets about 600 uh, uh, infections per day, but they only have double the population. So uh, yeah, it would be a bad idea. I do know that there's a lot of pressure for the government to do all sorts of things. Uh, some people have called for a complete opening up, mentioning what I did before, or uh, others have said, you know, just going to lockdown uh, level four. Uh, there's a lot of calls for a lot of things. But uh, as Nicola said, we need to face the reality that we, you know, Taiwan has been in a bubble for a long time, a very fortunate bubble and a very long bubble for that matter. But it's unrealistic to look at going back at that. And uh, yeah, be patient. I mean, we're looking at maybe uh, local vaccines uh, spreading in uh, coming out in just a month or so. So altogether, uh, with all that put together, uh, we're looking at perhaps Taiwan being able to maybe vaccinate a good portion of its population in a matter of months. That's as short as anyone can ask for. 
So this is actually very good. But I do understand why people in Kunting who want their tourism or, you know, Xiaodiocho uh, or other places are begging for that, especially if you're a hotel owner or a theater owner or a restaurant owner. You definitely will want some sort of thing. But I think the solutions perhaps, uh, which is what the government is talking about, which is perhaps, uh, you know, um, financial incentives. And they're, they're debating and working that out right now uh, to help uh, businesses stay afloat. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week. And a moment ago, we were talking about new variants of the disease. Now, apparently, according to the government, um, the most prevalent strain in Taiwan at the moment is the Alpha variant, which, of course, was first detected in the UK. Now, apparently, tests were taken earlier this year, and it found that out of one, in 199 of the 278 sample cases taken, they were from the Alpha variant. Of course, the Delta variant which is making headlines, of course, in other countries, is causing some concern here. Now, from this week, all travellers arriving in Taiwan are being tested for the coronavirus on the last day of their mandatory 14-day quarantine, with the Central Epidemic Command Centre saying the new regulation is aimed at preventing the spread of the highly infectious Delta variant of the coronavirus. Prior to Tuesday of this week, though, travellers entering Taiwan were not required to be tested unless they showed symptoms on arrival or during their quarantine period. Now, the island's of course, borders are closed to all arrivals except for citizens and legal residents. And the World Health Organization has warned that the Delta variant is likely to become the world's dominant strain of the coronavirus because of its significantly enhanced transmissibility. Now, so Nicola, obviously there's questions, of course, as in why people weren't being tested in their quarantine before now. Yeah, I, I think those are valid questions. Um, I was quite surprised to learn that they weren't, but um, at the same time, we did see Taiwan have a very successful strategy last year. So, so clearly, um, the quarantine procedures were working in 2020. Um, I think this change just reflects um, the, the, the changing situation that Taiwan has to adapt to, that last year's strategies are not going to work against these new variants. We're not dealing with the, the first strain of the virus that came out of China. We're now dealing with, um, you know, several known variants of concern, um, the worst being the Delta one. Um, and you just have to really increase your surveillance and the measures that you use against it. So, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely welcome this move um, as part of a, an acknowledgement that last year's strategy just needs to be adapted. I mean, you, you look at um, what's happening even in Singapore, um, where their vaccination rates are much higher. The Delta variant has made a difference and, and Singapore has been very worried about how it has impacted schools because one of, one of the horrible things about this variant is that it seems to be affecting um, younger people and you know, also children. Um, so that's the last thing that Taiwan wants to see. And, and um, I think this is a very sensible move to test people after quarantine. And of course, Sean, the question over quarantine 
goes back to questions over possible lax quarantine regulations because of course some people have said that the outbreak here in Taiwan was caused because the pilots saw pilots from China Airlines saw their quarantine um, period s- smashed down to three days. Uh, yeah. Uh, so okay, <laughs> the this is actually a little bit of, of a complicated situation. Uh, it's one of those things where um, you know one thing is easier to latch onto as opposed to again you know uh, um, the, the response to that sort of thing takes so many much more words. For instance, uh, the pilot I believe violated. Uh, their quarantine on day 11, which was the self-management period. Now, fines had been increased to about 300,000 NT for the self-management period. But uh, on top of that, self-management isn't just, okay, I think I have a fever, I better report to the CECC. It's actually rather a situation where um, they can't ride public transportation. They can only take takeout. They're not supposed to eat in restaurants. Uh, There was, I think, an Indonesian woman who went to get hot pot during her self-management period, which follows the quarantine period. And she also got uh, uh, fined the full amount. So basically, if pilots are... If some people are violating it, it doesn't matter what kind of rules you put on. They will violate it regardless. And yes, indeed, uh, the 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 first initial quarantine period was reduced. But I do think there's a reason for this. Now, I kind of sympathize a little bit with the pilots. Uh, people have called for pilots to undergo a full 14-day quarantine because they present a risk. As we've seen here, yes, they do. However... Um, they're not supposed to do several things. First of all, if you do that, pilots won't be able to do anything except fly out or be in quarantine because they likely will fly out before 14 days, given the way their profession and job is. So, And we do need these pilots, especially cargo pilots, to assist us. Case in point, all the vaccines that came into Taiwan came by air. <laughs> They're not by boat. So it's one of these uh, situations where it's a little bit complicated, where um, the violations actually happen in, in uh, self-help management, where pilots were in one case, an Indonesian pilot uh, went to a mosque where there was 400 people and infected his family, uh, you know, which he probably shouldn't have gone to that place in the first place. He isn't supposed to, because that's one of the violations of self-management. So, you know, as long as people break rules, you can have as many rules as you want. It won't fix that. Now, there are authors like uh, commentators like Jenna Lynn Cody who mentioned the problem isn't really, uh, you know, violating the quarantine. The thing is, there should be stricter controls on self-management, which is the period that follows behind quarantine. And I actually agree with her on that. That's actually a pretty smart idea, which is that... um, for pilots, they might need to be a separate set of rules because they interact with the rest of the world. If there's a chance for a Delta variant to come into Taiwan, most likely it will probably be pilots because they're the ones that have to fly abroad and interface with other nations the most. Yeah, it's it's a, a really difficult question, isn't it? I, I have to say that's one of the, the decision to um, uh, reduce quarantine for pilots to three days um, in April. That's one of the that's one of the decisions I actually can't really understand. Um, I, I think that the government's done a, an excellent job in their um, COVID prevention policies, but that that one is is one that I struggle with a bit. If it, as it wasn't in tandem with um, vaccination rates. 
for pilots. And if you look at Singapore, then they've really been pushing for um, airline staff to be to become fully vaccinated. And that's been one of their kind of big strategies because, you know, um, Singapore's uh, airport is such an important travel hub. And I didn't really see that same um, drive um, from Taiwan's end to really push pilots to to get vaccinated as as frontline workers. That's that's definitely changing now. But um, as as Sean said, it is a very difficult question because there's no there's no easy solution. Um, with these variants, um, we're learning a lot more about aerosol transmission. Um, we're learning a lot more about um, you know uh, asymptomatic. Trans transmission as well, which is which is a bigger problem with the variants. So what do you do? I mean, you can't lock pilots up and we need pilots. Um, and I don't think there's any um, airtight solution uh, to 100 percent guarantee that, that the virus will not be brought in by um, flight crews. Um, we're asking a lot on on individuals and, and really we are kind of um, dependent on when it comes to self-health management, we really are dependent on um, individual pilots and, and airline crew to, you know, make sacrifices to their own lives to to um, protect others. And it, it is a lot to ask of people. Um, but I do agree with with Sean that um, the self-health management side of um, the the rules have to. It, has to be a bit clearer because there clearly were um, violations um, in April that did lead to others being infected. And, and yes, it's tough on pilots, but again, it's temporary. The pandemic won't last forever and, and maybe they should be just asked, um, they should just be monitored a, a little bit more carefully during that period. Uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, it, uh, there was a cluster outbreak earlier, uh, again involving pilots in mid-April, and the government mulled actually increasing uh, uh, further monitoring and changing policies, and then the outbreak occurred, the, the big outbreak occurred uh, days later. So the virus works extremely fast. Uh, you know, we're dealing with this reality that, you know, the virus is constantly evolving, and it's, a, it's not an adversary that stays static. It's an adversary that's constantly changing. So as Nicola said, strategies that worked in 2020 may not work in 2021. Strategies we have now may not work against a future variant. We're constantly adapting. We're trying. Uh, actually, in a way, uh, this has helped Taiwan. Uh, I'm trying to see the positivity here. I really regret the deaths. But the positivity is that maybe Taiwan is also facing this reality. It's also been a great wake-up call for a lot of other countries. Even New Zealand has been mulling, making changes over their own policies by looking at what happened in Taiwan. I've saw, saw a multitude of articles around the world that were saying, okay, well, what can we learn from Taiwan's situation? What can we learn from how Taiwan is dealing with this situation? Uh, you know, what policies can we change ourselves uh, after seeing the loopholes that Taiwan has had? So all in all, I do think everyone, especially uh, the health minister, Chen, uh, has been doing their greatest to try to uh, fight this pandemic and the outbreak. And not to mention, just wanted to bring up that the general satisfaction with Chen's overall performance in Taiwan has hit a low, 
but it's still something like uh, uh, from yesterday's results of the Taiwan Public Opinion poll was something about uh, 60% saying that he was 67% saying that he had a passing grade, while 36% uh, uh, gave him a grade above 80. And that is actually, in Taiwan standards, considered very high, considering we love hating our, our, our uh, uh, ministers and whatnot here in Taiwan. And of course, going from a national level to a local level, the Taipei city government this week fined a pediatric, pediatric clinical group for vaccinating non-priority individuals. Now, the Dienthus Medical Group was fined 2.3 million NT for vaccinating 81 people who were not on the central government's priority list for coronavirus shots. Now, according to the city's deputy mayor, Vivian Huang, an investigation found that four of Dienthus pediatric clinics in Taipei had administered shots to individuals who were not on the list. And the city government said it fined the medical group under the Communicable Disease Control Act and removed its four paediatric clinics from the list of approved vaccination stations. Now, if that wasn't enough, the Taipei city government also this week fined the Jiangshin General Hospital 300,000 NT for administering coronavirus vaccines to a former vice president and his wife. Now, neither Lian Jan nor his wife, Lian Feng Yu, were on the central government's priority list for the shots of the time. And the city says the hospital also administered coronavirus vaccines to eight volunteers who are also not on the central government's priority list. So Nicola, of course, we've got funny things with people getting vaccines who shouldn't be getting vaccines and the local government's having to clamp down on this. Sure. I mean, it's not surprising, really, that there's there's been some small hiccups in the vaccine rollout. And, and we're looking at very small numbers here as well in the grand scheme of things. Um, so I think that's just an inevitable that um, with any vaccination program, it's not just in Taiwan that we've seen this. You know, if you remember, there was a, a famous case in, in Canada where two very wealthy people flew into um, an area of Canada where vaccines were prioritised for the indigenous um, community. And, and there was a huge uproar about that. So it's not unique to Taiwan. And I, I think that it's it's just um, it will eventually settle itself. I mean, there's so much focus on vaccines at the minute because it's just, you know, the number one news item every day and everyone's very desperate to get vaccines. So um, these stories kind of really blow up. But it's obvious that the government system is working because they have caught these cases and they have dealt with them. And, um, you know, I, I think generally the vaccination program appears to be going very well. Indeed, the numbers are very, uh, very small. And uh, but one thing to mention is that Dianthus, and apparently this is an evolving news story. Dianthus uh, Clinic has mentioned that they did send their list, especially those that are not in the priority list, to the Taipei City government. And I think they claim that they were approved upon that because, as stated, some of these were for uh, their workers who were dealing with people on the front line. So. So it is an evolving story, and they are uh, uh, they were in the media doing a press release, sort of fighting back. So I think we'll see in the coming uh, uh, days, as this is investigated further, what really happened with Dianthus, which is a little bit different from Changxing General Hospital, which actually, uh, you know, uh, you know, gave vaccines to people who were pretty wealthy or influential, like you know, film stars and so forth. That probably didn't quite uh, uh, shouldn't have jumped the line. Uh, and as Nicola said, it happens 
it's happened all over the world. Uh, there was a case in the United States, uh, uh, I think, a couple months ago, where a uh, an uh, a hospice or, or a home for the elderly uh, or something like that actually gave the shots not to their patients, but to the wealthy donors. So <laughs> there will be some of these things happening, but we're talking about low numbers here. We're not talking about tens of thousands of vaccines being uh, given to people jumping the line. And before we go this week, one of the island's leading food companies brought some what a, a smile to the coronavirus situation here in Taiwan as Emei Foods announced that it plans to send a container load of puffs to Lithuania. The company says the donation of a 20-foot container containing 1,800 cartons or 21,600 boxes of Emei puffs was made after Lithuania pledged to donate 20,000 coronavirus vaccine doses to Taiwan. Now, the Lithuanian government announced on Tuesday of this week that it will make the donation of the AstraZeneca vaccines after Taipei sent it 100,000 face masks early in the pandemic last year. Now, Emei Foods General Manager Gao Jiraming said one of the Lithuanian lawmakers who proposed the donation visited Emei's food factory and once expressed a fondness for the company's puffs. Now, the cream-filled puffs come in a variety of flavours if you're interested, that being milk, chocolate, pudding, strawberry and black cocoa. So, Sean, puffs for vaccines. I mean, would you would you consider that begging? <laughs> I want to say it's more to like you know friendship or I, I I'm not as eloquent as Nicola. I'm sure she would have a far better word than I have. But uh, it, it isn't just puffs that you know people in Taiwan were buying. They were looking for Lithuanian foods. There you know uh, uh, I saw a Facebook group saying let's buy uh, Lithuanian chocolates and delicacies to show our appreciation. Uh, so it, it's. It's, it's because I think there's sort of like a, a, a fraternal feeling, uh, so to speak, because Lithuania has also a history, like recently Lithuania pulled out of the 17 plus one format or something like that because they didn't really like China's aggressive attitude. Uh, Lithuania has a history of uh, being under the Soviet Union and dealing with all that. So they uh, have been very expressive about uh, dealing with authoritarian nations. And to be honest, I really appreciate Lithuania's donations. Some people say, oh, okay, it's only 20,000. But the reality is Lithuania is not a very populous nation. Uh, I've been told something about 2 million people. So they've given a lot of uh, relatively quite a good number because other nations nearby that it's donated uh, vaccines to, they were also given 13,000 or 20,000. So, um, you know, to fly all that over to Taiwan, I, I really appreciate it. I get it. Uh, a lot of uh, companies and people are doing everything they can to try to express their thanks to Lithuania for doing this. Yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a lovely gesture. I mean, it's, um, it's thoughtful. Um, it's, um, They've said because you know this politician liked their products, um, they wanted to to give a gift um, that reflected that. And I think it also reflects Taiwan's overall kind of generosity. The Taiwanese love to give gifts and and show off their products and and make people feel welcome. So I I think you know it's, at face value it's just a, a very um, kind um, thoughtful gesture um, and. Um, I think, as Sean said, Lithuania really has to be called out as well for, like, you know, taking the lead um, in in making this donation. Um, they're one of the smaller countries of the European Union, and 
And um, it's a bold step to take because, you know, not only are they giving up some of their own precious vaccines, but they, they could also face um, some kind of um, uh, pushback or um, from China. And, you know, I, I do hope that, that their gesture will be uh, followed by other EU nations who do have more um, political clout. I mean, do you see that happening, Sean, in the short, in the short term, more EU nations donate vaccines to Taiwan? Uh, I I can't predict the future, but I can say that Lithuania's gesture has been noticed. Uh, there's been quite a few articles all around the world that has pointed this out. So it does definitely add pressure to the EU to step up its movements a little bit more, especially after Japan, United States, and now even Lithuania. So that puts a lot of pressure to countries like Germany, you know, to actually step up a little bit stronger to show their support. But of course, Nicola, then Beijing will rear its ugly head, no doubt. Absolutely. And I, I think that's but that's just a reality that countries have to face now that either they're going to have to stand up to Beijing and, and take the risk to do that or, um, you know, kind of submissively um, uh, obey Beijing's wishes. And that's really I, I, I think countries are more and more being confronted by that reality. Um, and it is a decision that they can't run away from anymore. And Sean, do you see countries standing up to Beijing to donate vaccines to Taiwan, or do you think they're maybe erring on the side of what they would call caution? Uh, well, we already see some countries erring up on the side of caution. Uh, there's been some accusations that BioNTech from Germany has been, uh, uh, you know, doing exactly that. But to be fair, uh, I do understand China has a lot of economic clout, but this goes back much farther before the pandemic. For instance, uh, Giant in 2019 said, you know, due to U.S.-China trade tensions, that it had to diversify, that it will no longer be producing the vast majority of its bikes in uh, China. And they're one of the largest bike producers. Granted, that's a Taiwanese-headquartered uh, company, but quite a few other companies around the world have diversified as well. So I do think it is possible that China's influence will decrease. Now, that, to be said, to be fair, China has already made very aggressive statements. But uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, even Xi Jinping himself had said that perhaps they might tone down wolf warrior diplomacy because, you know, as long as countries have to do that, there is still a political cost. There is still a sentiment cost where people will feel that, you know, we might not be helping Taiwan out today. We not, might not be standing up, but they'll notice and they won't be happy about that. Uh, one can remember just uh, a couple years ago how many people in the UK were rather upset about how uh, their government bent over backwards for China, despite all that was going on, especially in Hong Kong and so forth. And there was a lot of anger and resentment in that case. So there is a cost. It doesn't come free for China either. And that's where we'll leave it here this week, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined virtually once again today by Nicola Smith. Thanks for having me. And Sean Su. Thanks for having me back. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.